Today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to Romans 14. Romans 14, and you're going to need your Bible because on the handout, all we've got is a couple of verses. And by the way, it's, it's Romans 14, 1 through uh, 15, 13. I'm not doing the whole chapter 15. Don't get too nervous. Rick will pick up things next week. Uh, but we're going to, and we're not going to try to cover all the verses either. Okay, that's why I need you to go to your Bibles in Romans 14. And when we say Romans, we've been in Romans for quite a while now. And when it comes to Romans, there's some thoughts that ought to immediately come to your mind. Romans is a doctrinal book primarily. It's going to teach us what we believe. Primarily, it's going to teach us what we believe about salvation. We won't get all the doctrines that we hold to as Christians, but we're going to get an essential one, the one of salvation, the one that tells us we are all sinners, all sinners who are condemned to hell, all sinners in need of a Savior. It's going to tell us about how a Savior does come. And because God so loved us, He sent His Son, and He died for us while we were yet sinners. And then... When we put our trust in Him, when we believe, when we call on Him by faith, we are saved. And what makes that so important, folks, is it's from Romans that we are standing here today in this belief, sola fide, by faith alone, that's how we are saved. It's not by works. We find that in Ephesians. We find in Galatians that we're not to be keeping the law. That's not going to save us. Romans sums all of that up for us. And as Julie prayed, when we get saved, he gives to us his righteousness. I have nothing good to bring to him. He gives me his righteousness that I am justified. And now that I am saved, I begin to live the Christian life. Now, when it comes to the great verses of Romans, <laughs> there are lots of them. But just as a reminder, as we're launching into this message in chapter 14, Romans 1:16, <laughs> For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Wow, not just a handful. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. Now, Romans is telling me what to believe. But it's also going to tell me how to behave. Now that I'm a Christian, how do I live the Christian life? Things are going to be different as a Christian. We come to chapter 12, and he starts laying out things for us to do, actions to take. And one of the things that Paul will emphasize over and over on the difference of a Christian is that Christians live in unity. In this room, the differences in infinitesical, how do I say that word, Rick? I mean, it's, it, it, they're, they're, it's just so numerous. 
The difference is we've got Kentucky here, and he likes Kentucky, and some of you like Duke, and some of you like North Carolina, and, and we got the Braves fan, and we got the Dodgers fan, and we got old, and we got young, and we got people who have edu- been, you know, with doctor's degrees and others, never graduated from high school. I mean, we've got all kinds of differences, and here's what happens when you become part of the church. We all become part of one body. One body. And in this one body, though we are different, watch, spiritually different, there are seven spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12 that make all of us think differently and act differently and do things that are different because of those gifts that we have. We're different. But here's what Paul says, I want you to live in harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Now, what does that mean, harmony? We've got a praise band, and they play different instruments. Not all the same instrument. Harmony is when they are playing the same song. They're on the same page. And as Christians, we're to be on the same page. Now, as we're coming to Romans 14, there's a transition taking place. There's been a lot of things Paul has given to us to do. Now Paul needs to address some immediate things that are happening in the Roman church. And because there's some immediate things that need to be taken care of, I titled the message simply, Immediate Actions Needed. He needs them to take care of some things that are happening with them right now. The new church, that's what it is. We could call it the early church, but the new church, and it's a new church. We don't have a church in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and up at Caesarea Philippi, David, he says, I'm going to build my church. Uh, What's that? I'm building a church, and in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. Now, all of a sudden, people of all different races and nations, Gentiles, are coming into the church. And as they're coming in, they're starting to ask questions. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'm a Jew who has become a Christian. So am I a Jewish Christian, or am I a Christian who was a Jew? Gentiles, I'm a Gentile who has become a Christian, or am I a Christian who used to be a Gentile? And there's all these questions. What do we do? What is the actions of a believer? Well, Paul's going to deal with two areas, two areas in chapter 14. And, and, and my old, my uh, uh, Bible teacher uh, on how to study the Bible, Dr. Fink, he's been in my ear all week. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, here's the main thing. Paul's going to deal with two areas with the Roman believers who are Jews and Gentiles to help them resolve some issues some conflicts, some challenges that could lead to division. What are those two areas? Don't laugh. Diet and 
days. That's the two areas he's got to deal with in chapter 14. The diet and the days. Let me show you in Scripture. Here we go, Romans 14. It'll be on the screen, but look it in your Bible. Chapter 14, verse 1 says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, circle that word opinions. Hold on to it. We'll come back. Verse 2, each person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he will stand or fall, stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, for the one who observes the day, observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. And right now, what you just read is as clear as mud. What in the world? What, what, what is this all about? Well, listen, there's a difference of opinions regarding the diet and regarding the days. What matters the most? Everybody got it? No, you, you, you don't have it. You don't, what in the world is Paul talking about here in chapter 14? All right. We have Jewish people coming to know the Lord. And as they come to know the Lord, they bring with them the Old Testament law. And with the Old Testament law, there are dietary laws. Are they still to be practiced? Well, let's see what the law says. The law says this. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cud. Now... You're still looking at me like, what are you talking about? Divided hooves and choose the cud. Well, fortunately, your pastor grew up on a farm. And I know about divided hooves and chewing the cud. Here is an example of divided hooves. That's a Holstein cow where you get milk from but you also eat her at McDonald's. 
Um, and she's okay to eat because she's got divided hooves. I also, but didn't, could have shown you a picture of a cow chewing her cud. To understand chewing the cud, just chew your mouth like you're chewing gum right now. That's the idea of a cow chewing her cud. When a cow goes to the trough, she eats, she then goes, lays down, and then she brings the food back up and rechews it. By the way, that's the word meditation in Psalms 1, that you eat and then you chew on it. That's what's allowed. Now, watch this. Verse 7, the pig, though it has divided hooves, the pig does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. What does that mean? It means no bacon for you. And some people said, if that's the rule for becoming a Christian, that you can't eat bacon, I'm not becoming a Christian. Now, here's what's happening in Rome. There are some Jewish believers who, we're no longer under the ceremonial, no longer under the dietary laws, and we're going to enjoy bacon. Now, if you are a Jewish believer today, and you want to demonstrate, I don't know if we have any Jewish believers here, you can come up and eat some bacon. Levi's ready to come. It smells good, by the way. My wife, whoo, this smells so good. And, 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 you could enjoy this as a Gentile. Bacon, yes. But there could be David, Ron, who was our guide in Israel, who's a Jewish believer. He might be at a place right now where he goes, I, 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 I hear you, but I don't believe it's okay. I don't think it's okay to eat bacon. Here's what's happening. Read 14.2 this way. One person believes he may eat bacon, while the weak person eats only vegetables, believing he cannot eat bacon based on the law. That's how you understand verse 2. Now, the Gentiles are having some problems too, and they get really addressed more in 1 Corinthians, but just to make sure you know they're having a problem too, Oh, don't believe they look good. I have a friend coming in from Dallas tomorrow, and he's spending a couple days with us, so tomorrow night we're going to have steaks. Now, I'm going to call him and say, hey, Joe, uh, you okay with steaks? Well, Joe might say, hey, Dwayne, I, I got a question. Have those steaks been offered to idols? Joe. What difference does it make? Oh, it matters to me, Dwayne. I got saved out of a culture in which the meat was offered to idols, and they've got all these idols, and, and I can't eat meat that's been offered to idols. What? Oh, I, I'm telling you, I can't. Well, Joe, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I got saved, and I learned there's no such thing as idols. There's only one God, so why would you think there's an idol? The idols don't exist. That's false. So I'm enjoying the red meat. 
He says, no, 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 no. So let's read 14.12 this way. 14.2 this way. One person believes he may eat a steak that's been offered to an idol because there's no such thing as an idol. While the other believes that they cannot eat a steak offered that has been offered to an idol. This is the problem that is at Rome. And it's not just with the diet. It's with the day. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I mean, folks, we have this right now in the 21st century. There's, there's denominations that yesterday met because they believe you're still supposed to meet on the Sabbath. We're meeting here on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, but that's not really clear. We don't know if this is really the first day of the week, but this is the day we have chosen. We could get into all kinds of arguments about which day is which. Hey, I don't think Jesus was born on Christmas Day. Heresy. No, I, I don't. But we celebrate Christmas on Christmas. Good answer. On December the 25th. The Jews had lots of days to observe. Now that I'm a Christian, do I observe Passover? Do I observe uh, uh, the Day of Atonement? They're asking all kinds of questions. Which days do we serve? Which days do we worship? Now, let's get something clear. What the Romans are dealing with are preferences. These are not doctrinal issues. A person I have high respect for is Dr. John MacArthur. I read behind him, listen to his sermons, and John MacArthur says, when you're reading Romans 14, read of a man that is writing a gentle note. He's not being stern. Stern is Galatians, who has bewitched you? This has nothing to do with salvation. Whether you eat bacon or not has nothing to do with salvation. But in Galatians, Paul had to even say, Paul, uh, Paul says, Peter, you've got to stop what you're doing because Peter had moved to the place where if you want to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. And men, that means getting circumcised. What? I think you raised the standard for getting saved pretty high right there. And there were other things that had to take place. And Peter is out of line. When it comes to doctrinal things, Paul is stern. Right now, he knows people are trying to work through a transition. What should they do? What shouldn't they do? And here's what's happened that's made this difficult. What's made this difficult is some of the believers have moved it to the level of this is how it must be. I believe it's okay to eat bacon. Now, you're going to eat bacon. The person who says, I don't believe it's okay to eat bacon, is saying, you are wrong for eating bacon. They've taken it to too high of a level. They're struggling over their differences of opinion. That was verse 1. That was verse 1, wasn't it? Didn't it say, not to quarrel over your opinions? He didn't say over your doctrine. Rick, 
We are to contend for the faith. That's a strong word in Jude. Is that not correct? When it comes to the fundamentals of the faith, we don't budge. Eating bacon, we budge. Okay? Hopefully this is starting to make sense. Now watch this. Here we go. I'm going back to verse 1 just to show you again. Here's what Paul now wants you to do. To the person who is weak, who thinks you should not eat bacon, welcome him. Welcome him. As people are growing, welcome them. Give them time. Give them some space. Give them some room to figure things out. But don't kick them out because they say they can't eat bacon. Don't, 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 don't do that. Give them room. Welcome them. And then verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on the one any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Oh. Now, listen, full disclosure, there is a whole lot here that I'm not going to touch today. We'll be here till the family meeting starts, okay? I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. A lot of you have prayed. I appreciate the prayers. I, I said to Bob, how many different ways can we go to Washington, D.C. from Winston-Salem? Well, the many ways you can get to D.C. right now is the many directions I can go with this sermon. There's a lot of stuff here. But I believe the Lord has, through a lot of prayer, brought me to give just a very precise uh, few statements to you about how we're supposed to respond to one another. And one of those responses is verse 13. I'm not going to do something to cause other people to stumble. Which means this. If my brother cannot in good conscience eat bacon, then I'm not going to put bacon before him. I'm not going to eat it in front of him. Watch verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in Rick's message, love. David Peters, you're going to eat bacon. I can't do it. Ron, he's a Jew, he's a Christian, you're going to eat bacon. I can't do it. Then I'm not going to make them. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to eat bacon around them. I'll eat it at my house, but I'm not going to eat it with them. I'm not going to make them stumble. They're not able yet to do this with a good conscience. Now, is it about bacon? No. Because now Paul drops the main thing. This is where we all have to get. And it's verse 17. And I ask you to look in your Bibles because you want verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. But, there, there it is, but, but, you see that word. He's, he's trying to tell you something. But, what's the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's a game changer, folks. I, I, I'm holding off on going in a lot of directions right now, but that will mess up a whole lot of denominations, including Baptists, on what we emphasize. 
It's about righteousness. It's about peace. And it's about joy. Oh, wow. It's not about what you're eating and what you're drinking and what day it is. Nope. And then Paul moves to another conclusion. And we jump to verse 19. Now, verse 19, get ready, because we have at this church a theme to pursue. Well, here comes the pursue word. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. How am I supposed to live as a believer at Salem Baptist Church? I'm supposed to be pursuing what makes for peace. And for mutual upbuilding, I don't understand what you're saying. Let's try another version. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Edify, build up. I'm supposed to be doing things with you. You're to be doing things with me that's going to bring peace to us and build us up. Here's another version. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Oh, wow. Wow. Verse 19 says that we're supposed to aim for harmony. That's the idea of peace, harmony, getting along with one another, and then building each other up. Verse 20, so then, verse 19, continuing in verse 20, ready? There it is. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Ouch. Pursue, but now Protect God's work. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Another version. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Is that clear? Because of a preference. Do not tear down God's work. I think he may be a tad stern on this one. Do not tear down. So folks, put 19 and 20 together. We are to be pursuing the building up of each other while making absolutely sure we do not do anything to tear down each other. That's how we relate to each other in this local church body. Are you getting it? We have differences. But there are things we are supposed to pursue that matter. And there are things we are not to let come between us to the point we destroy each other and destroy God's work. How do we apply this? Well, let's go to verse 20, the one out of 20 first, and then we'll come back to 19. 
you and I must be aware and alert that we can, with our opinions, destroy, tear up, tear down, tear apart God's work. Now read it. You have the ability with your attitude and your actions to destroy what God's doing. And this is why I needed much prayer and got much prayer and even had a mentor call me this morning to say, I believe you're in need of prayer. I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit is telling me to pray for you and I'm going to call you and pray with you over the phone and tell you, I want you to hear what I'm saying to God for you because I think you got a heavy message. Well, that's heavy right there, folks. Because it's convicting. You and I can tear apart God's work. How can we tear apart God's work? Take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at verse 20. Now, I'm not breaking it up on the screen. I'm hearing that sweet noise right now. Some of you have a phone, which I'm not going to hear anything, but go to 2 Corinthians 12, 20. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 is a verse I've been using now for probably 30 years. I do seminars. I'll go speak at different companies, and we'll talk about unity. We'll talk about how to work with one another. I'll use 2 Chronicles 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. Because they need to know what could tear them apart. This is a verse for team. This is a verse for family. This is a verse for school. This is a verse for church. And here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And really, the disorder is coming because of all the others. Another version will say it this way. I do admit that I have fears that when I come, you'll disappoint me and I'll disappoint you. And in frustration with one another, with each other, everything will fall to pieces. VW, we need to be getting ourselves prepared for a new pastor. I don't want him to walk in here and be disappointed when he finds Quarrels, jealousy, flaring tempers, taking sides, angry words, vicious rumors, swelled heads, and general bedlam. Woo! For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear there may be quarreling, jealousy, Outburst of angers, of anger, factions, that, that's, that's taken aside, hostilities, slander, gossip, arrogance, conceit, and disorder. He's got some serious fears here, does he not? These are the tools of the enemy. 
These are the tools of the enemy, and they then become the enemies to a church, to a team, to a family, to a business, and it destroys. Each one of these words, destroy. So here's the question. Are you destroying God's work by quarreling, arguing, disagreeing with no resolve in mind, arguing, jealousy, jealousy, that's high school stuff, this girl's upset because this guy likes another girl, uh, no, 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 that, that, that's just a minor thing. Jealousy is not liking that you have something and, and you're going, I want what they have. But it's at that level of also, if you have it, I don't want you to have it. 1 Kings 3, a woman rolls over and smothers her baby, gets up in the morning, realizes her baby's dead, reaches over, takes the other baby. Remember that story? They go before Solomon. Solomon says, I can solve that problem, no big deal at all. Cut the baby in half. The woman who had the baby die says, go ahead. If I can't have a baby, you can't have one. That's how destructive jealousy can be. You're destroying the work of God. Having outbursts of anger. I was a little bit insulated by being at Liberty. Most parents respected me as a campus pastor. There were a couple of them that would chew me out. You're a pastor? Yeah, but what difference does that make? I should have never said that. Well, you should have never said that to anybody. But I, I, I went into the pastorate, and I had one of my best friends get upset one day, and he cursed me out worse than I'd ever been cursed out. And I know about being cursed out because I got saved out of a lifestyle that included cursing, working at a stockyard. You cursed out people, and people cursed you out. That Christian cursed me out. Outburst of anger. And I never thought that a church member could ever curse out any believer, much less a pastor. Outburst of anger. Participating in factions. You know what that means? We begin to play tug of war with each other. And there are no winners when you're playing tug of war in a church. Spreading slander, not telling the truth. Lying about people. I've been lied about this past week. Not here. Not here. Please hear me. Not here. But this very week, I was lied about this past week. Because this is a new week, this new day. Okay, that's called slander. Gossip, making up stories. Hey, 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 did you hear? And you add a little bit to it. Being arrogant. What comes before destruction? Pride. Wow. Whoo! For the sake of food... Do not destroy the work of God. 
You have a responsibility to protect God's work. Choose your actions carefully on the things that you disagree with. There are things to disagree about. I think I could say three things this morning and have this church in a total uproar on differences of opinion. Just three. Am I going to say them? Absolutely not. I just know we have differences of opinion on a lot of different things. But we can't allow our differences of opinion to destroy this work. Let's go positive. So then we're going to pursue what makes for peace and the mutual upbuilding of one another. What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I'm going to be committed to praying for you. And you're going to be committed to praying for others. I taught this at Liberty as I dealt with students who moved in and new dorms and new roommates. And whew, it can get, I said, you know, if you pray together on your knees, it's hard to kick a person when you're on your knees with them. You know, if we pray for each other, it'll change a whole lot. Be patient with one another. I've already raised my hand to confess, I know God's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. What's that song? He's still working on me. Hmm. He's still working on me, folks. And you know what I know? He's still working on you. And we need to be patient with each other. Oh, that hurt my toes. Got to be patient. And we got to protect one another, which does mean sometimes we're going to do something that's not right and someone needs to speak into our lives. And, and any admonishment ought to always be done by speaking the truth in, Rick, love. That message, love, love. Care for one another. And I decided to throw in the negatives. Care for one another, not criticize. Care for one another, not complain. Care for. Care for, hold each other with gentleness. Handle with care. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Basketball, Conrad, I saw it happen with Kentucky. They have players that will miss foul shots. I know it's shocking. And do you know what those players do when a Kentucky basketball player misses a foul shot? They seek to encourage them, not destroy them. Why'd you miss that shot? We're going to lose. They don't do that. Hey, buddy, you can make the next one. You can make the next one. That's called encouraging and exhorting. And folks, I have 56 one another's on my website called Date the Word. 56 positive one another's to do for each other that I could give every one of you right now. 56. In other words, there are a lot of things we could be doing to build each other up. Are you building others up or tearing others down? 
practical application. As you relate to people, are you more like marbles or grapes? Marbles, hard, and give me a word that begins with I. They are, come on, inflexible. Marbles don't give. Now, listen, listen, listen. As believers, there are times we're to be inflexible. I'm not budging. There's only one way to heaven. Amen? How in the world does he die on a cross if there's other ways to get to heaven? There's only one way. I believe there's only two genders. I'm not budging. I believe, whoever thought we'd have to say that, but we have to say it, don't we? I believe that marriage is for a husband and a wife, a man and a woman who become a husband and a wife. I'm not budging. They, these are doctrinal issues, preferences. We're never going to get anything done when we're marbles. Grapes. You can't hardly hear anything. Grapes mesh together. They're flexible. They give each other room. <laughs> and if you squeeze them tight together, they make grape juice. Welch's grape juice, by the way. The best there is. And if we come together with flexibility and we support one another, oh, that's one of those one another's, and we pray for one another and we love on one another, we encourage one another, we can make some great Welch's grape juice together. And you've got to decide, are you going to be a marble at this church or a grape at this church? Here's the immediate action. We are to be pursuing What's that word mean? Running hard after. Pursuing the building up of each other while making absolutely sure we do not do anything to tear down each other and destroy the work of God. And I heard amens. If you're watching the Greg Guffville show, you would hear the word Period. That's for you that watch that. Period. This settles it. If you've got your cameras and you want the note, take a picture. That's what we're supposed to be doing from Romans 14. With each other, with our opinions. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we have differences of opinion. Sports world, entertainment world, business world, school world, even in our church world, we have differences of opinion. Help us today, help us today to not move our opinions to a place where we think they are inflexible doctrines that bring about division and destroys this work. May there be a spirit in this room of every believer to pursue peace and the mutual upbuilding 
every believer in here. May that be our passion. I want to help a fellow believer become better. I want to be an instrument in your hand to help them. And may we commit ourselves not to doing anything that would destroy someone else. This morning in your seats, inventory time. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to come forward. I just want you to be very honest with God. God, I think I needed this message. I know I needed it. Say that to the Lord and just say, Lord, help me. Help me to pursue the things that matter and release the things that don't make, they're not valuable to pursue. I pray, Father, that we will be the unordinary church, that there is unity. There is a same-mindedness here. And we major on the majors of getting your name known and made known. I do pray, Father, if there's someone here today that has not come to know your Savior, watching on this, on this great uh, avenue called uh, online, if they don't know your Savior today, may they understand, yes, Jesus Christ did die, rose again, and today offers a gift of salvation. If they will call on him by faith, they can be saved. If you don't know him today, see me, see Pastor Rick, see someone sitting close to you and say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved and I want to be saved. Father, thank you for our church. Help us, help us to grow in unity. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.